0: And Lord of lords, let's stand. ah lord god we are as we study uh daniel we are reminded that everything is under your control and lord your praise and glory will never fail lord we can take that to the bank we can rest assured that as believers that um, uh, we have the comfort of knowing that you are in total control lord Uh, chaos may be happening here on this earth but there is no chaos in your mind there is no chaos in your heart. And we just uh, thank you for that, Lord, that you have your loving arms wrapped around us. We uh, just want to worship you in spirit and in truth today, Lord. And and, uh, we pray that we would walk away from here just a little bit more conformed to the image of Jesus than when we came. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Want you to take one of these connection cards, and uh, if you would, please fill that out. Especially if you're maybe a first or second time guest, we would love to know uh, that you're worshiping with us. And pl- so fill that out. And then everybody on the on the back of that card. Uh, you can you have the opportunity to write a prayer request down. The staff will keep that confidential and and pray for those. Uh, maybe you have a question about a relationship with the Lord, uh, how to how to be baptized, how to join the church. There's boxes to check down there. You can check those and we will get with you. And so uh, please take advantage of that. And the staff will uh, uh, take a look at those and and contact you if you request. Okay, so please please do that. Uh, As we talk about Daniel 11, we're going to talk about the power of Almighty God. And this great, great old Isaac Watts song reminds us of that. So let's uh, sing it together. I sing the mighty power of God. Uh. I was wondering. I thought, man, they would would have thought that I just didn't know that I was supposed to go back up. (laughs) yeah we're on live tv so there's no way to rewind anyway we're gonna sing uh here he comes and speaking of daniel 11 obviously it it talks about the end times and so in the end times jesus will come again amen and this song reminds us of that
1: stepping down from glory bethlehem is just a part of the story here he comes here he comes and here he comes teaching in the temple making timeless wisdom sound simple here he comes oh here he comes here he comes to seek and save to wash our every sin away and here the captives start to say here he comes here he comes giving sight to the blind man getting out giving life to a dead man here he comes here he Here he comes, Hosanna is loudly ringing, carries the cross along the way of suffering. Here he comes, oh, here he comes. Here he comes to seek and save, to wash our every sin.
0: wonderful words. I
1: sing the mighty power
0: Make no mistake, God is sovereign over everyone. Amen. Jesus
1: So... teaching us to trust all your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us You wisdom unimagined Who could understand your ways Reigning high above the heavens Yet reaching down in endless grace promises.
0: this size I know we've got several in here who are just thinking God may have forgotten me these last few months have been difficult everything's changed and I don't know the answers and I just don't feel God anymore he's not forgotten you I assure you even what the enemy means for evil you turn it for
1: our good. He turn it for our good. And for your good.
2: Okay, you people know that your pastor is committed to faithfully expositing all Scripture. We have a commitment around here at FBCO to teach and preach the Bible expositionally. And as a general rule, how do we do this? We do it book by book. When you are committed to preaching the Bible book by book, you're going to be taken to passages of Scripture that under normal circumstances you would never preach. Some texts scream at you and say, preach me. Others scream at you and say, I dare you to (laughs) preach me. Right? Daniel chapter 11 is one of those passages. One Old Testament scholar said, and I quote, we do not see how it could be used for a sermon. Now that's discouraging, isn't it? If you're the one that is dealing with Daniel chapter 11. Well, I can't just skip over a chapter because it talks about stuff that we are not highly familiar with. Now, if you're a history teacher, especially world history, then some of these things I'm going to talk about you will certainly remember. So the prophetic detail in this passage is nothing short of amazing. As a matter of fact, it's so incredible that liberal, critical scholars reject the dating of Daniel. They would say there's no way it was written in the 500s. It had to be B.C. It had to to have been written maybe around 75 or 65 B.C. But no way possible was it written prior to. And so they just give it a later date and say that some kind of redactor actually added this chapter in. Even if it was Daniel, right? They think it was some that authored it. Others, some would believe that a redactor did it so that would be called prophecy after the fact so they saw this transpire and then turns around and writes it as history that has already taken place what do you guys think about that? I think the God who created the world has no problem giving us all the events of history before they take place the God who conquered the grave and came forth victorious, the Son of God has no problem with this kind of detail so we're going to go through this text of scripture I may lose some of you today, and if you are a visitor, especially for the first time, I am sorry that you came today and chose this day. Yet, if you stick around to the end, no matter who you are, I think I'll give you some application that will help you. It will be somewhat tedious. We're going to be looking at history from the vantage point today of historical fulfillment. Everything you're going to hear today was in the future for Daniel, but it's in the past for you, now what I wish is that as I go down, starting in verse two, that all that both teams had their names on their uniforms. Right, it'd be pretty easy to identify everyone if they had a name on the jersey, in the game that they're playing. But they don't. So the chapter is chalked full of covenants, of leagues, of treachery, of political marriages, of intrigue, victories, and defeats. As history knows them, we know these events had taken place. The phenomenal thing is the sovereign God who controls the world told you of the events before they ever took place. And that's what you need to know today. The major thing you need to understand, no matter if you get anything else, our God knows the future in advance. And he reigns sovereign over the rise and fall of kingdoms, great and small. And he directs history according to... To his plan. Just just as a reminder, before we dive into the text, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What does that tell you? God controls kings and kingdoms and all things. And a little later in chapter 4, Verse 34, listen to Nebuchadnezzar. After he has suffered with boatrophy out in the field. It's very easy for you to uh, succumb and listen to the God of the universe when you've become an animal, right? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth of the earth. Hope you see that. So as you look through Daniel eleven, you understand that he causes kings to rise and fall. He moves their hearts, as the proverb says, like a like a river. He can control them like a river. And then he rules all the inhabitants of the earth, and he does whatever he pleases. So here we are, Daniel chapter eleven. Here's what I'm going to do for the sake of time. I'm going to read Daniel 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 2, down through about verse 6. And then I'm going to walk you through, referring to certain texts of Scripture, and then for, for the full effect of, of you getting it, you need to read it on your own, okay? That'll save us a little bit of time. All right, Daniel 11, again, verse 1, actually ends the section that is above it. We talked about the fact that in Hebrew you don't have paragraph breaks, okay? Okay? Uh, this is put in from English so that you understand where the breaks potentially are. But the break is really 11.1 1, where Gabriel is still strengthening Cyrus. Why? Because he's allowing the people to go back to Jerusalem to build the walls. Now verse 2. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall rise arise in Persia. What kingdom is Daniel in now? Medo-Persian, right? So you had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, okay? Four kingdom, actually five kingdoms, and then the kingdom of the Son of God, right? So it says, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of the heavens, but not to his poster- posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. There's a break. Chapter five, uh, verse 5 is a transition. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger... Then he, and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up and her attendants, he who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. y'all get all that? Clear as mud, right? All right, here's the first thing I want you to see in verses 2 through 4. The Lord of history. Who controls kingdoms? Don't forget this. So that's why in the division it says the Lord of history. Who controls history? Who wrote it? Who gave it? Who controls it? It is our God. So the Lord of history is going to raise up Medo-Persia and Greece. Now, this is kind of easy for us to track. We know about Persia. If you've been here studying Daniel, you know about Greece. And the messenger says in verse 2 that he will now show him the truth. And again, this is how this all started in chapter 10, verse 1. And again in verse 21 of chapter 10, he says, I'm going to tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. He is now here to show him and tell him what is actually in this book of truth. In other words, he's going to unfold for him everything that was supernaturally inscribed in this book. Prophetic scroll. He's going to give it to him. So he says, three more kings will arise in Persia. This would be Cambyses, Smyrdus, Darius, Histopasus. Those are the kings given here. Those three. Now do you know those guys? Anybody ever read history? These are guys who lived. And now we're able to put the names on the jerseys. Why? Because history unfolded exactly like God said it was going to unfold. Then the messenger, uh, Smyrdus, actually only ruled one year. And then the messenger says a fourth king will come to power who will be greater. Has anybody ever read the book of Esther? All right, now you're going to be introduced to a king that you're probably familiar with. Xerxes or Ahasuerus, as you would see it in Esther is going to be the next king. And this guy is going to expand the wealth and power of the Persian Empire uh, to places unknown by the previous rulers. That's why the text says what it says. Xerxes, let's call him Artaxerxes, will stir up the empire against Greece. So here is Persia going against Greece. And at the time, Greece was not a world power. We know from history that He did a plan. He planned an invasion of Greece. If you ever read the book of Esther, what is he doing at the beginning of Esther? He's throwing this big party. And if you read it, it talks about this celebration that he's having. Showing all of his wealth and all the things that he has. And he's getting ready. He's doing all this to show his power so that he can go against Greece. But this guy is going to fail miserably. The result was that it ended up aiding and consolidating the Greco world. Under Philip of Macedon. So this ends up launching Greece into the status of becoming a world power. There's going to be other Persian leaders for maybe another hundred years. But that actually started the demise of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now Daniel's goal is not to give you all the history of Persia. What he really wants you to see is what's coming with Greece. Now he's going to mention another king in verse 3. Does anybody know who this king is? That a mighty king shall arise. You've already met him. It's Alexander the Great. We have put another name on a jersey, right? <clears throat> we know this for a fact. He's going to become a world power. And the great king is, going, is prophesied in Daniel 8, 5 through 7, if you want to go back and mark that. And in verse 21 of chapter 8. I know you will recall, again, that there's these four empires depicted in the book of Daniel. And there are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. So in verse 4, we learn that the empire will be divided into four parts. Alexander dies at how old? 34. And nothing went to his posterity because the generals are actually going to kill his two sons. Does God know all things? And then actually, it's going to be set up after this conspiracy with four generals. That's prophesied in these passages I just read. Cassander takes Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus takes Thrace and Asia Minor. Ptolemy takes Egypt and Palestine. And Lucis, watch out for this guy, takes Syria and Mesopotamia. And this is the way it all works out up to this point. Now, if I could just stop there, we'd be smooth sailing. Because we've seen all of this. But now, beginning in verse 5, we have a civil war. You ever heard of those words before? You have south against the north. And if you look on your bulletin, I've helped you a little bit with people I'm going to talk about. You see it? It's listed down there, the players in the civil war. Okay? And all of this leads up to a contemptible person whose name is Antiochus Epiphanes. And this is going to be the dude that desecrates the temple, uh, puts uh, pig blood on the altar, desecrates the people. As a matter of fact, he is going to be one pain in the neck to the people of God. So, the Lord of history raised up Egypt and Syria. That is your next division. What are they part of? The Greek Empire. Okay? So, I pray we understand this, but he rules. The very first one in verse 5 talks about a strong person. Well, that is Ptolemy. And he's going to rule over Egypt and Palestine. One of his princes, Seleucus Nicator, if you're looking down on your bulletin, he's going to defect from the south. And he comes to join the north. And there he greatly increased his power. He eventually has more power than even Ptolemy. His kingdom includes Babylonia, Syria, Media, and the largest of all divisions of the Greek Empire. So this powerful Seleucid Empire begins in 313. Remember, B.C. counts down, right? So 313 is moving us down to zero and starting back over with A.D. Uh, So... This empire starts in 3.13, and Daniel is telling us how this empire comes into existence. And again, this Seleucid empire among the Greeks is going to be a pain in the neck to the Jews. Now, verse 6 and 7, let me read that again. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughters of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north. You know, this was always part of history, right? Let's just kiss and make up. Let's do the best we can to consolidate. Let's not be in civil war. So the Ptolemies of Egypt and the Seleucids of the north, Syria, continue this conflict on and on. And this marriage alliance takes place in order to resolve the ongoing conflict. Bernice was the daughter of Ptolemy I. And she's given to be married to the king of the north, the Seleucid, King Antiochus I. Remember, Antiochus Epiphanes is going to be the fourth. And so they're given in this marriage. But there's one minor, minor detail of this engagement. Antiochus was already married. You find that fascinating? Well, Laodice is his wife. And she's not at all happy about this arrangement. It says in the middle of verse 4 that she will not retain her power, nor will he remain with his. Laodicea actually is going to assassinate Bernice. And her infant son. She then poisons Antiochus. And she takes over the kingdom. Beware of a woman. Right? That's what she does. Verse 7 tells us that Ptolemy III. The brother verse deals with Ptolemy III or the brother of Bernice. He invades Syria. He's successful against them. He ends up uh, capturing Antioch of Syria. Takes all the spoils and national treasures. But he makes a mistake. He refrains. From total conquest because he's interested in conquering other places. In verse nine, we see the Seleucids gaining some ground back. See this is ongoing conflict. They don't really have enough in the tank to continue the battle, so they return home. Verse ten His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war, carry the war as far as his fortress. So Seleucus II has two sons. He names one Seleucus III. He names the other one Antiochus III. And both of these guys are going to have successful military campaigns against one another. And again, north versus the south. In verse 11, the forces of Ptolemy fourth actually make incredible progress into the Seleucid Empire. In verses 12 through 13, the tables turn once again. Antiochus gains more land, more power, strikes Egypt, causing a major Ptolemy setback. Anybody need a commercial break? I told you, it's difficult. Now, in uh, 202 B.C., Antiochus is going to push into Phoenicia, Palestine, and Gaza, and the capital falls in 201. Now, I will eventually tell you why this This uh, God went to all of this trouble, but beginning in verse 14, we see the rise of Antiochus the third. The Bible says, In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision. Who are the violent among your own people? Isn't that fascinating? What that's going to be is Antiochus is going to be very shrewd. And he's going to get many of the Jewish people to see it his way. Notice what God says. Many among your people shall do these things. So according to the vision, and to fulfill the vision, that's exactly what they do. They become pro seleucid Jews. In other words, they come together and, and they're willing to fight against Egypt. Do you see the, how ironic this is? This would almost be like a large group of Jews who become pro-Nazi Germany before the Holocaust. That's how serious this is. So they actually lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision. And so they're doing exactly what God predicted that they would would do, and they actually fail to overcome the king of the south. So there's a temporary pushback of offensive rebels in the north. This was under a southern leader named Scopus. Yet in verse 15, we find that he surrenders to Antiochus. Now verse 16 is important. Listen to this. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. So Antiochus ends up permanently taking possession of the beautiful land, which is what is It's Palestine, that's right. This is the Israel, this is the beautiful land that is mentioned. And when he enters Jerusalem in 198 BC, he actually is welcomed as a deliverer. This evil man is welcomed by the Jews as a deliverer and a benefactor for them. So this would serve their very demise and death. Verse 17 reveals that he was seeking control of Egypt. He's going to give his daughter in his plan. And guess who his daughter is? Cleopatra I. Not the one that dealt with Caesar, but the one way before. And she's given to the Ptolemy boy king. And guess how old this guy is? This little boy is nine, and she's given to him as a wife. He is Ptolemy the sixth, and the passage tells us that the plan doesn't work. Cleopatra will stand, not stand with her own father. He thought he had the hand up on the deal, but actually she becomes sympathetic to the young boy king and the Ptolemaic dynasty. When her husband dies, she becomes the queen regent of Egypt, but to no advantage whatsoever to her father Antiochus III. So Antiochus will then start a new war. And the war against Egypt did not go well. He aims at taking over the Aegean coastal plains, islands. And here's a little bit of historical info for some of you. Hannibal, you ever heard of him? Actually joins with Antiochus after being exiled to Rome. Rome, Then Rome will actually join with the Greeks. Antiochus will take 70,000 troops... And the Romans will only have 30,000 troops, yet the Romans utterly whipped them. That goes to show you the power of the coming Roman Empire. Antiochus has two sons, Seleucus IV, watch out, and Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes becomes a prisoner for several years. And verse 20 is utterly Fascinating. Listen to verse 20 of chapter 11. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. Notice this. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. What in the world is going on? Well, Antiochus' older son, Seleucus IV... Realized that his old dad didn't leave them any money. Does that ever happen to any of you? Right? No inheritance. Dad is dead and dead, and brother Antiochus IV is in prison. But he hears that Jerusalem has a temple, and that temple is filled with treasures and riches. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute from the glory of the kingdom. right? There's wealth in that temple. So he sends a commissioned officer to go and plunder the temple of Jerusalem. But according to 2 Maccabees, now what is that? you got 1 and 2 Maccabees. Both of those books were written by a, a Hebrew author. That was written by a Jewish man in, in Hebrew. And it's going to depict the time of history between Antiochus Epiphanes and Judas Maccabeus. The Hasmonean, Has, Hasmonean dynasty. So 2 Maccabees says a certain person tells the king of the tons of treasures that could meet all the king's needs. In other words, dude, you can get your money back quick. Just go into this Israelite temple and get it. So he sends Hilidorius on the assignment. And Hilidorius sees in the night a frightful vision of mighty angels assaulting him and flogging him. He decided not to touch the temple. I guess I would too, right? And he returned home empty-handed. Seleucus would end up dying because he was poisoned by Helidorius. All right. How y'all doing? Good stuff, right? Now, beginning in verse 21, we're doing great. The Lord of history is going to raise up a contemptible person. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. What does all this mean? Well, Verse 21 tells us about this contemptible person. He's a despicable tyrant. Once he comes to power, he takes the name upon himself. Check this out. Antiochus, Epiphanes Theos. So what is he actually claiming? Oh, there is but one king, folks. It's always dangerous when you do this, but that this means Antiochus God manifest. He actually sees and thinks of himself as God manifest. He's already been prophesied in Daniel 8, 9 through 12. And Daniel 8, 20 through 25. So his identity in that text was that of a, remember this? A little horn. Y'all remember the little horn? Boy, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Back in chapter 8. But that's how he's identified. Our passage clearly tells us that he did not have the honor of real kingship. Seleucus IV was actually in line for the throne. But Antiochus is shrewd and he is a political genius and he gains favor with all these political leaders and even promised them promotions. Quid pro quo, right? Whatever it takes to get the office and authority, and that's what he does. Now, you think this is the only time in history this has taken place? Or do you think it's the only time it's taken place? No, that's not true. Now, in verse 22 through 23, moving right along, armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken. I mean, he, he promises them things. Oh, we just love you. We're just going to bring you into the kingdom. And then he just plows over them. And he does this endlessly. Makes friendships, alliances, turns around and overpowers them. The prince of the covenant was probably Ptolemy the sixth son of Cleopatra. And he would then be Antiochus' fourth nephew. And he's going to try to regain territory lost by his father. So he captures Ptolemy, ruler of Egypt. And takes him away captive. Egypt doesn't try to get him back. They just install another king. And Ptolemy's brother is installed. Antiochus sees this as an opportunity. And he becomes nephew Ptolemy's fourth ally. The fourth ally promises to put him back into power even though he has made him captive. Uh, Are y'all getting ready for a history test? Right? In verse 23 it says that he will go up and gain power. And Antiochus will actually have a group of apostate Jews supporting him. Here we go again, where they defect from the God of the covenant. And they just aligned themselves and began to support a, uh, Antiochus. So he's going to use Ptolemy, and he will get into Egypt. He will try to unite both empires, remember, north and south. And he's trying to bring those two together. Ptolemy VI, once he got back to Egypt, realized that his brother wasn't so bad after all. And he makes peace with him. And together with Roman support, they stand against Antiochus. Look at verse 25. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plot shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. So, as with all political alliances, the two kings devise schemes against each other. And Daniel tells us... In that little line that the plans of evil men are actually according to the plans and purposes of God. And God is actually working this out according to his timetable. Has much changed today? You got alliances all over the world. You got uh, us dealing with China. You got us dealing with whoever else in the world. But I want to remind you, behind all of this, God is in control. That ought to encourage every one of us in here. That no matter what happens in history, no matter what happens coming up in the future, no matter what happens on November 11, God is in control. Completely. In verse 28, Antiochus returns to his homeland, and then he sets his heart toward Jerusalem and the Jewish people. How sad is this? The Bible says in verse 28, And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant and he shall work his will and return to his own land. So he comes and he plunders the people. He will show no regard to he will he will show regard to the ones who actually forsake the holy covenant. In other words, there's going to be Jews who just forsake the God of the covenant and just turn away from Yahweh. And the Bible says that he is going to show regard to them. In verse 30, he falls again. He fails again to capture Egypt. Because the ships of Kittim come against him. And this was the intervention of the Roman fleets. I want to remind you, you don't mess with Rome. okay? The Roman Empire. Once he is turned back, he will have rage against Jerusalem. He already has these wicked apostate Jews who have made an alliance with him. He comes with a large group of men. He speaks peace. They believe him. And once they fall into his trap, he destroys them. He plunders the city. He takes women and children captive. They take the city of David and they make it an uh, ungodly citadel. They become a great menace to the people of God. He, they profane the temple. And these are the events described back in Daniel 8 9 through 14. These are all chronicled in history. Do y'all know that? Every, these events take place on the, when he actually desecrates the temple, it is in December of 168 B.C. You can check it out. It's in history. Antiochus sets up a statue of Zeus on the altar in the temple of God and offers up swine blood on the altar. He kills tens of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. Many from Israel gladly adopted the wicked king's policies. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. He forced them to forget the law of God. He wrote to the kingdom, if you don't obey me, you will die. The law was burned whenever it was found and anyone in possession of the Old Testament scroll was condemned to death. You think our world could reach this? You better not sleep. Very well could happen in your lifetime. First Maccabees 161 says this, this will break your heart. Their families, Jewish families, and the ones who they circumcised, they hung the dead infants around their mother's necks. Literal history. If you circumcise your baby in in obedience to the law of God, this is what happened to them. In verse 32, he continues to allure the Jewish progressives. Does that word sound familiar for today? They gave up their confidence in God and his instruction, and they followed Antiochus. But not everyone gave up. Verse 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God. Oh, here's some application for you. Boring history lesson, right? Here's some application for everybody in this church. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder when they stumble they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time, so not everybody gave in, the people who know their God will display great strength, and Daniel is talking about the historical events that are still to come in the future, and then he addresses this particular point that it will be violent, it will be difficult, it will be oppressive, but he knows that the people who know their God will display strength and take action. I mean, this is the angel Gabriel telling Daniel this, looking 200 and 300 years down the line, and he knows what the real people of God will do. Think of this. Incredible. Many stood firm. Many resolved not to defile themselves. Many chose to die rather than profane the covenant. Uh, Revelation twelve eleven. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, loving not their lives even to the end. That's what many of them are going to do after the resurrection of Christ. Out of the group that would know their God and do great things was a man named Matthias. He had five sons. John, Judas, Maccabeus, the hammer, John, Simon, and Eleazar. These five Young guys resisted firmly and valiantly. Judas Maccabeus would end up dying in battle. And this is what we know in history that took place in 166 B.C. It's called the Maccabean Revolt. Antiochus was driven out of Jerusalem and the temple was cleansed and rededicated. It is this very event prophesied by Daniel that would become the basis of the Jewish tradition feast called the Hanukkah. Right? That's where it came from. They were overwhelmed by incredible odds, fought boldly, and it's memorialized in Jewish history uh, until this day. Now, why does God give us prophecy in such detail? Well, He's God, right? And He knows what's going to take place. But there is not another prophecy anywhere in the Word of God with this much historical detail. You have just walked through the most detailed historical analysis probe before it ever takes place anywhere written in the Bible. It's an amazing thing. Daniel is living where? Well, he's living in ancient Babylon. He, is, he has lived through Darius, the king of Persia's reign. That king was what? Very benevolent. What did he do? He sent the Jews back to their homeland and paid for it. He actually gave the money to actually build the temple. Think about how benevolent he was. He lets them return to the land. It would have been very easy for the Jews to look at this as a complete fulfillment of the promise of restoration. Yet it would not be complete fulfillment. In fact, the good times here would only be short-lived. And here's the reminder. The prophecy would detail what was to come after a brief time of blessing. This was given to equip and strengthen the people of God. Don't go to sleep. Right? The worst is yet to come. Don't go to sleep. You've got it good right now. Uh, This is a transcendent spiritual reality that when the people of God experience great times of blessing and prosperity, they're at ease at Zion. It is when you are at your it is at those times that you are at your weakest. You're presumptuous, you don't think about things, there's apathy. Even in the book of Revelation, it is designed to strengthen the faithful and to steal us, S-T-E-E-L, from future compromise. Because Romans 8 says, Through 11 is the bold judgments that will be released during the time of tribulation. And the people of God need to be reminded not to be lulled to sleep. All we've ever endured in America is blessing. Let's be honest, for the most part. For years and years and years, God was preparing His people then, and He's preparing us today. And I think this is the first reason. Don't be lulled into apathy and inactivity because you believe God is on your side. Don't do it. Resist that, all right? The second thing about this passage is it stands as a historical monument to the supernatural ability of God's holy word. Now, I want to ask you something. Do y'all believe this book? Do you really? Do you believe every verse of it? That it has no mixture of error whatsoever? That is the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its historics are true, and all of its decisions are changeless. Now, we say we believe it unless it cuts across the grain of how you think. And then you want to make God a manageable deity to fit your understanding, right? But why don't we let the Bible tell us about the God we belong to, right? And that's what we must absolutely do. And here's what we find. Isn't it fascinating the supernatural power of God Almighty to give us this kind of book? And to tell Daniel... Two to three hundred years before the events ever take place, what's going to happen? Verbatim. Now, do you see why liberal scholars say this can't happen? Well, they also believe that God didn't create the earth, right? So, the fact of the matter is, there's incredible detail. God gives us the script of what's going to take place. Do y'all know what this vision really is between the Testaments? It's called the intertestamental time. We all. What happened between the end of the old and the beginning of the new? There's 400 years in that gap. And I've just given you almost all 400 years of what takes place. And God wrote the script before it ever took place. Fascinating. Amazing. Uh, it takes place with incredible detail. Marriage alliances, right? We talked about them. Covenants, treaties, wars, invasions. God gives the script. Our God is in control. And He's in control of all things, including the future. That's good news for us, folks. It's true for us today. I know things look really bad in our country. Yet I also know that our God has already written the script. And He's in control. Luke chapter 21, and we're done. i got to preach this one more time today. Don't y'all feel sorry for me? Luke chapter 21. Let me show you something. Beginning in verse 25. Now, before verse 25, the Lord Jesus is going to tell the Jews exactly what's going to take place. Look at verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Y'all do realize that we're still in the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. Right? Now, note this. Verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars... And on the earth, the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Anybody there? Ah, my goodness. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Woo! With power and great glory. Now, when these things began to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. Woo, that's good. Now look, here's a reminder, verse 34. Check it out. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation. Does this sound like what the angel Gabriel is telling Daniel? Those who know their God will do great exploits. They will be strengthened. And here the Lord is reminding us, but watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness. Well, could we say a word about this, the next phrase to people at FBCO? Cares of this life. Mm. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the earth, the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Wow. Wow. I told you it'd be worth it if you stuck around to the end. Y'all say, man, why don't you just skip all of that and read Luke? Well, again, I am committed 100% to tell you what's in the Word of God. Amen. Here's the deal, folks God is in control. All of history, all kingdoms, small and great. He knows what's going to take place in the future because He has written the script before it ever takes place. We can rest assured that God is in control, but don't get lazy. Stand firm on the Word of God, right? Be bold. Be courageous. Do great exploits for God. Why? Because we know He's in control, right? Father, we thank You for Your Word. And I know this was tedious. Uh, Lord, it's kind of like sitting in a history class when we'd rather scroll through our phone and not listen. And I get that, Lord. But just thank You that You have reminded us today that You know the script before it ever takes place that you are awesome, that you are in control. And let this be a reminder of all of us that we are living in the fulfillment of the times of the Gentiles. You are the Son of God who will return with power. God, help us to live in light of that coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Thank you for the amen. A loud one, right? Uh, Let me just say a thank you as we go out this morning for all of those who helped with multiple day of givings. We didn't have uh, multiple days, I should have say of giving. It's unbelievable uh, what a blessing you are to my heart to see this many people at this church working uh, for the cause of Christ and the amount of clothing that was given out and food. Uh, and this is a critical time in our community. And to see our church step up like that is absolutely amazing. And to God be the glory. I don't know the numbers of how many people came in, but we were just about booked up every day. But everybody that had any kind of part in it, uh, to God be the glory. Praise the Lord for the effort that has gone forward. And the clothing ministry is expanding. Like you would believe, you know, we have inherited least of these clothing ministry here at FBCO. And it's a phenomenal ministry. And you're able to uh, to speak to people, meet people, give them the gospel. And uh, we've got news coming in the future of what we're going to do about that. Because we've got clothes upon clothes in every room and when we start back in Sunday school, we're going to have a problem. Unless you want to go in and try on clothes during Sunday school, right? All right. But y'all pray about that. God bless you. hope you have a wonderful day. As we
0: go, let's sing. And we'll let the ushers uh, take you out one uh, row at a time, okay? His plans are still to prosper. Let's stand. His plans are still to prosper. You
1: have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. again. Your plans, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are
0: sovereign over us. God bless you. Have a great week.